0: is more than the policeman on the corner. More than the courthouse where our laws are enforced. More than the jail where lawbreakers are punished. In your whole community, there are customs and moral codes which guide your actions. What social controls
1: affect you? Sometimes we get donations right away. Other times it can take up to three or four hours before we get anything.
2: You can stand on the street corner, you know, spouting Nazi hatred, but all of a sudden you ask for a
0: quarter and you can't speak. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Walk down the street in almost any town or city in America these days, and it's a safe bet you'll see somebody panhandling. A woman sitting on the sidewalk holding a sign. A man approaching with a dog, asking for spare change. Many consider panhandlers to be a nuisance. But illegal? Now you're getting into some interesting territory. We asked Ann Hepperman to look into the right to
3: beg. Don Norton unfolds a ragged cardboard poster. It's so old, it looks like it's about to dissolve. He holds it just below his chest, faces the street, and waits.
1: The sign that we we are going to stand on the corner with is a sign that says, please help any way you can.
3: We're in a subway parking lot in Springfield, Illinois.
1: Sometimes we get
3: donations right
1: away. Other times it can take up to three or four hours before we get anything. It all depends.
3: Don Norton's been panhandling for about 20 years. He says you can't pinpoint who's going to give. The sweet little old lady might spit in your face while the guy with the crew cut presses a 20 into your hand.
1: And we have somebody coming, somebody is donating.
3: A woman pulls up in a minivan and hands him $5. — God bless you. — And then drives away. The scene sounds simple, but there are actually a lot of laws that just directed how this woman gave Norton that $5. —
1: Now, legally, I cannot step into the roadway and accept a donation. This is legal here. The police will say from sidewalk to sidewalk is roadway.
3: Don has Springfield's panhandling laws tucked in his brain like a lawyer. He has to.
1: to Breaking
3: them just invites trouble. Tickets, fines, jail time. Especially after the city decided to crack down on panhandlers a few years ago. In 2007, Springfield passed a law that made it illegal for anyone to ask for money downtown.
1: Springfield City Ordinance 131.06. Panhandling is prohibited. To report panhandling in the downtown area, please call 788-8311, which is the Springfield Police Department.
3: So just introduce yourself. Victoria Ringer, R-I-N-G-E-R. Victoria Ringer is the head of downtown Springfield, Inc., a kind of civic improvement organization. The panhandling was impacting the experience. The world
4: has never had good definition of the word liberty.
3: The experience she's referring to is Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. Springfield is the town Lincoln called home. And every year, thousands of tourists come to the town's downtown historic district. We're all Lincoln
4: all the time. And, and, you know, you have to appreciate where your bread's buttered. And and we know that Lincoln has done
3: a lot of that for, for our city. What constitutes
4: the bulwark of
3: our liberty and independence? Tourists bring a lot of money into downtown Springfield. So the local panhandlers see the tourists as good business, just like the local shopkeepers do.
4: Several businesses were experiencing a lot of issues that were affecting their bottom line.
3: Ringer says by 2007, the begging problem had gotten out of control. Panhandlers were harassing the tourists, she says. They'd ask for change from people waiting in line to see Lincoln's house. They'd knock on car windows at stoplights. They'd interrupt people on restaurant patios. One panhandler, she says, even nabbed a piece of someone's lunch. Garrett Moffat, who runs the
4: ghost tours downtown, and he's got panhandlers following his tours every night of the week, you know, yelling at him and saying, you know, give me money, that kind of thing.
3: City boosters were afraid the tourists would get scared off and the businesses would lose money.
4: Whether you're in your car and you roll up the window really quickly or you're walking along a city street or you're sitting at a a bus bench or what have you, you don't want to feel as if you're being put on the spot Um, or to feel that guilt or think about it later in the day. You know, I've gone by and later on the day, I'm like, God, should I have given that guy, you know, and then being pissed, (laughs) you know, because you're like, well, how come they can't go get a job? I'm working three.
3: So downtown business owners asked their city councilmen to introduce a law that would put all kinds of restrictions on asking for money.
4: We needed to take action and we didn't really have any other avenue besides, let's put it out there and see who hates it.
3: Springfield Ordinance 131.06 makes it illegal to go up and ask someone for a quarter. You can't beg after sunset or before sunrise. No panhandling in the historic district. No panhandling in groups of two or more. And if caught, panhandlers are fined up to $100 or have to serve up to 40 hours of community service for each offense. Hundreds of towns have created anti-panhandling ordinances. Orlando prohibits begging in its commercial district. Atlanta banned panhandling near the convention center. In May... Yakima, Washington, made it illegal for beggars to accept money at 26 intersections. Cities have been using these kinds of laws to limit begging for at least 20 years. But the history is much longer than that.
5: We, being uh, people in government, have been trying to deal with beggars and poor people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the first real set of laws that addressed begging were in 1349 in England under Edward III, of all people.
3: That's Bill Quigley. He teaches law and poverty at Loyola University in New Orleans. In 1349, feudalism collapsed. Up until then, the poor had been living under feudal lords.
5: Poor people belonged to somebody. They might have belonged to Lord Hammurabi, Lord Lord Schmidt, Count so-and-so.
3: Suddenly, the poor were on their own.
5: They called them vagabonds, beggars, vagrants. People were wandering around, and they didn't have work, and they didn't have a place to stay, and so they started begging.
3: King Edward III felt the need to take action, and so he enacted the statutes of laborers.
5: Those laws, uh, first of all, made sure that people didn't wander around. They were restricted to their own town, and uh, there was compulsory work. Everybody had to work. You just had to work. That was the law. And if you didn't know how to work, they would find some way to put you to work prohibition of begging was the first thing that they did, and that was the center of it.
3: Quigley says the English poor laws cast a long shadow of shame, even in America.
5: There is a stigma in being poor, and these laws that outlaw begging and the things that seek to prohibit poor people from standing in the, on the side holding up a sign, and that uh, those are deeply rooted concerns that we have.
3: Don Norton says he sees that shame when he's holding his own sign.
5: I can
1: see sadness in their face. Um, But I also see uh, disappointment in their face, that why isn't this man working? Um, I see um, confusion.
3: But the fact is, is that panhandling is a big part of how Norton makes his life work. Things started out normal enough.
1: Don Norton life history was born in Ord, Nebraska, in a barn. Literally in a barn.
3: He graduated high school and went to college for a bit. Even worked in radio for a while. But... For a lot of reasons, Norton couldn't stay on track. And eventually, he ended up in a homeless shelter. There, he met his common-law wife, Karen Otterson. It was love at first sight.
1: No, I hated her guts.
3: Okay, maybe not.
1: I did. I I hated her guts. I thought she was uh, a very dirty woman. She had just gotten back from a 1,200-mile bike ride. She just looked scummy to me.
3: But then Norton got deathly sick and ended up on Karen Otterson's doorstep. She nursed him back to health. And they've been together ever since. Oh, We've been together going on 12 years. Otterson grew up in the foster care system and now receives Social Security disability. Norton works odd jobs. I shovel
1: snow. I do maintenance work. I paint, drywall, uh, tuck point, um, do all kinds of odd jobs. If you got a job for me, I'll take
3: the job. But since they've been together, they've always panhandled to make ends meet. For them, panhandling is almost like another job. Together, they can make about $100 a day. They use the money for everyday life things. We was also using it for hygiene products, dog food when we had our dog, um, and food. And even to pay rent. They're no longer homeless. A little while ago, they moved into an apartment that costs about $1,200 a month. Panhandling helps pay for that the city of Springfield don't like it, well, they can kiss my ass. The ordinance against begging passed in Springfield unanimously in the late summer of 2007. And as soon as the law passed, Don and Karen say they saw an abrupt change in the way the police treated them and other panhandlers.
1: Sometimes they would just pull over their car, walk up to the grocery cart, rip the sign off the cart and rip it up in front of you and say, I don't want to see this again, or you're going to jail.
3: In the past two years, Springfield police have issued about 100 panhandling citations. Norton estimates they've given him about 12 tickets, Otterson 15. Then one day, Otterson was standing in front of a JCPenney with her grocery cart and with her dog, Sadie. I was thrown in jail and my dog was placed in a pound, and I was not able to get my dog back because of that. That's whenever I told Don that our constitutional rights were being taken from us. Their First Amendment rights, she told him.
1: I did not believe that. I thought she was nuts and saying what, you know, she kept on ranting and raving about. Dawned on me that, you know what, this lady's right.
2: A lot of people
3: would think that panhandlers are a nuisance, so I would stopping it be against the law.
2: Well, Dave, let me give you an example here. Now, if a panhandler is here in downtown
3: Springfield... And in September of last year, Norton, Norton and Otterson sued and the city of Springfield.
2: Money. This lawsuit claims that that is a violation of their freedom of speech, and it also claims that police are taking this ordinance too far.
3: They found and hired Mark Weinberg, a lawyer in Chicago who specializes in panhandling lawsuits. My
2: friend Todd calls me king of the panhandlers. You know, like, I've done seven of these lawsuits over the last... 12 years.
3: Weinberg and other homeless rights advocates say the best way to fight anti-begging laws is through the First Amendment.
2: These cases are not about the right to give money. This is all just about the right to ask for money.
3: You can stand on the street corner, you know, not, you know
2: spouting Nazi hatred, but all of a sudden you ask for a quarter and you can't speak. You know, we think that's extreme.
3: Weinberg says these kinds of ordinances are unnecessary. Most cities already restrict what's called aggressive panhandling, and that's not protected by the First Amendment.
2: You can't panhandle within 10 feet of an ATM machine. Okay. You can't panhandle at a bus depot where people are waiting for the bus. You know, that would be a form of harassment. Um, You can't touch somebody. You can't, uh, you know, be abusive to somebody. Those are the type of restrictions that most cities have, and they're the type of restrictions that courts have upheld as permissible under the First Amendment.
3: The law says that Norton and Otterson can't ask for a dollar in downtown Springfield, but it would be just fine if they became Girl Scouts and sold cookies across from the old state capitol. Weinberg calls it a slippery slope.
2: If you can do this for panhandlers, like, oh, panhandlers can carry a sign, but they can't speak, why can't you do that for labor? Union disputes and protests. Why can't you say, okay, labor unions, they can carry signs and they can pass out leaflets, but they can't talk to passerbys. You know, like, this has dramatic implications for the First Amendment throughout everybody's business.
3: In the Springfield case, Weinberg argues that beggars can sometimes communicate important political or social messages. So a panhandler is not just a panhandler. It's a sign that something is wrong with our society like what it's like to be a veteran, for example, or how we treat people with disabilities or mental illness. Bill Quigley, the law professor, said federal courts have said that the First Amendment protects people's rights to deliver those messages.
5: The right of of a person to to essentially say, look, I, I... I am the victim of economic injustice, no one would say that's not political. If they said, I am uh, you know, a consequence of economic dislocation or the information age and globalization, that would be a political statement. But most people are like, look, I just need some money.
3: Other panhandlers across the country have sued cities for the right to beg, and they've won. Of course, letting people speak their minds, though, doesn't resolve the underlying problem, poverty. But Don Norton says, in a way, it doesn't matter.
1: It's not only giving me a little bit of power or a great deal of power, but it is letting the the man know that I'm not one that's going to back down. I, I love the power. I do. And without power, what do we have?
3: It will probably take a few years to get a decision in Norton and Otterson's case. But even if they won, it's not clear how much their circumstances would actually change. Since it seems unlikely that making it legal to panhandle in Springfield or Orlando or Atlanta will help people get out of poverty or find new ways to support themselves. But this case is also about something else. What free speech really means and who in our society has the right to it. For Life of the Law, I'm Ann Hepperman.
0: This podcast was edited by Elisa Roth with sound direction and production by Caitlin Prest. Life of the Law is produced by Mary Atkins, Julia Barton, Katie Barnett, Shannon Heffernan, Caitlin Prest, Elisa Roth, Simone Seaver, and Phil Wilt. Our music is by Matthew Darr, Kyle Kaplan, and Todd McDonald. Our funding comes from you, our listeners, and from the Open Society Foundations, with special thanks to Thomas Helbing. Thanks also to the International Media Project, our nonprofit fiscal sponsor. If you'd like to make an individual donation to Life of the Law, or are considering becoming a sponsor of our podcast, visit lifeofthelaw.org. I'm Nancy Mullane.